Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Listen, uh, we're going to finish our series this morning in my five one things. Uh, we've been talking about this idea of five things uh, that, uh, that are said in the scripture that are this one thing. And this morning, we're going to finish out of the Psalms with uh, King David and the one thing that he asked of the Lord. It comes out of, uh, it comes out of Psalm 27.4. It says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So King David says, there's one thing that I want more than anything else. There's one thing that I value in my life above everything else. I have the, I'm a king, I have a kingdom, I have all of these things, but there's one thing that matters more than anything else, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. David is the famous psalmist. Uh, he says in Psalm 133, uh, sing a new song unto the Lord. So before we start this morning into Psalm 27, we're gonna sing one more song. So if you'll stand with me, Aaron's going to lead us in one more song. Psalm 27, beginning at verse 1, says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? King David starts his psalm this way, uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation, that when I find myself in a dark place, when I find myself without direction, when I don't know what to do or where to go, the Lord is my light and he will save me, that ultimately he is my salvation. Here's David who slew Goliath. Here's David, the king of Israel, and he's saying that it's not my power, it's not being a king that will save me, but it's through the Lord. He's my light and he's my salvation. He continues on, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war arise against me, yet I am confident. One thing I have I asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, isn't it interesting that he doesn't say that when my enemies encamp around me, the one thing I ask is for rescue. The one thing I ask is uh, to win, you know, to have victory, to conquer my foes, to conquer my adversaries. But the thing that he says in the midst of all of this, that the one thing I ask is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty, uh, to, to inquire in his temple. In verse five, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock and now my head shall be lifted up above, all of, um, above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You're going to notice four things in this chapter, uh, this 27th chapter of Psalms this morning. Uh, you're going to notice, first of all, that David's confidence in, in verses 1 through 3, his confidence is in the Lord. You are my light and my salvation. The second thing that you're going to notice is my one thing, and that comes in verses 4 through 6, that what is the one thing that David seeks? What is the one thing that gives him life, uh, that gives him hope, <coughs> excuse me, 
The third thing you're gonna see is, what is my biggest fear? And I think this is important for us because we'll see what David fears. We'll, we'll see what he makes, uh, gives him anxiety. And the question for us this morning then is to consider, what, what do we fear this morning? What gives us anxiety? What keeps us awake at night? What, what sort of occupies our thoughts uh, all of the time? We'll look at that. And then the fourth thing is what I believe. The last thing that we see about David is, is at the end of the day, what is it that he really believes? What does he believe about God? What does he believe about life? And so we're, we're gonna look at this, uh, but one of the first things that David says is that I, to dwell in the house of the Lord, uh, to, to dwell in his temple, there's several, uh, there's several words that we get. We get this word of temple, we get the word tent, uh, we get all these, and, and these, all these words could also be translated tabernacle, the place that God lives. If you remember the children of Israel when they're out in the desert, God instructed them to build a tent, to build a tabernacle, and that was the place that, that his spirit lived. That's the place that God dwelled. And, uh, and so ever since then, uh, we, later they build a temple. That's Solomon after David. They build a temple. Ever since then, we have, we have sort of had this idea of buildings, these places, that this is where, uh, this is where we worship God. This is the place that God lives. And, and so we've wondered about what is it that God's, what's God's house really look like? And, and so we decided to, to check with some experts uh, this week and, and to get an idea of, of what God's house really looks like. So I'd like you to watch them. Well, there you have it. Let's just, let's close in prayer. Yeah, seriously. So, so some pictures of, of God's house. And let me just make a couple of comments, okay? That um, one of the things that comes through in everyone is that there are lots of rooms in God's house. There's room for everybody in God's house. And, and in one of them, there was even a place for us to hang out uh, in God's house. Uh, and, and so we get this idea of, of what kids think about when they look at God's house. When they think about God's house, it's got room for all of us there. Uh, no, nobody gets left out. You know, our houses, as we get older, get smaller, don't they? Um, God's house gets smaller for us that only certain people will probably get in and, and, uh, and, and they kind of look like us. Um, and talk like us and act like us and believe the same things we do and all of those things. And, and yet what we hear from kids is that God's house is a big house. It's a place where we can hang out uh, together. It's a place that has window decorations. I thought that was sort of awesome uh, as well. But that's what it looks like. And here's uh, what we know about God's house. In John 15, um, in John 15, Jesus said, uh, that I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, that he's talking about heaven. And he said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And, and so we have this idea of where we go uh, in eternity, that where we spend eternity with God, that, that God's heaven has room for everyone, that God's heaven has lots of rooms, that he's preparing a place for us. But then we also have this idea in John 2, 19, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees one day, and he looks at them and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll, it'll come back. In three days I'll rebuild it and he's referring to himself and, and he's talking about the cross and that on the third day he's going to rise uh, again. And then in Colossians, uh, the first chapter, it talks about that, 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 the, that the whole presence of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. 
And then in, later on, in verse 27, in that same chapter, it's, it says, now the mystery that's been hidden for the ages is this, Christ in you, your hope of glory. And so we have this picture of God's house now that, that, that Jesus said, I am the temple, I'm God's house, uh, I'm the one that God has been, God's presence is with you. Where I am, God's presence is with you. And then he said, and God's presence, my presence is going to dwell in you, to live in you, and you are a walking temple. Don't you know in 1 Corinthians it says that your body is the temple of the Lord, that we have Christ living in us. And so now we know 3,000 years after David wrote this psalm, we understand that what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord is that Christ lives in us. He occupies the most important place, or he should occupy the most important place in our lives, and we are reminded of that, that the one thing that David asked for in the middle of all of his trouble, in the middle of all of the danger, in fact, in the middle of all the responsibility that he has of being a king, he has to make decisions, people's lives are at stake, he has to do all of these things, and in the middle of all of that, he says, one thing I ask, what really matters to me most is to be in the house of God, to have God's presence with me all of the time. And he says, and to inquire of him, to dwell in his house and to inquire of the Lord. This word inquire is really interesting. Um, it means to meditate. Uh, and meditate is a word that's kind of got hijacked. Some of you sort of cringe at the idea of meditation, but, um, but meditate, meditate's a real Bible word, and it's something that we think about over and over and over, and we let th these thoughts sink into us. Uh, and, and so you might think, I don't know how to meditate, uh, so I, I've got a hot tip for you this morning. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate because it's what you think about all the time. It's what you think about as you're going to sleep at night. It's what you think about when you're waking up in the morning. And here's what David is saying. Here's what I want you to meditate on, that Christ lives in you, that God is, is, has his dwelling place with you, that the God of the universe chose to show up on earth and to make his home with us and we can have a relationship with him. We can experience his presence all of the time. And then he says something profound for us. In verse eight, he says this, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, Lord, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Okay, now this isn't about armies and this isn't about you know, conspiracies, and this isn't about Absalom, you know, trying to take over, uh, have a coup and take over the kingdom. This isn't about any of those things. This is David saying, Lord, you have said in your word to seek my face. And so, Lord, I want to seek your face, but don't hide your face from me. Isn't that kind of one of the fears that we all share in common? that there's something on the inside of us that says, Lord, I, I know you want me to seek you. I know that you want me to look for you. Uh, this, this idea of seeking uh, literally means to, to come morning after morning after morning, that we come to God every day, that we come to God every day of our lives and say, Lord, I wanna live in your presence. I wanna experience you. And we know that that's what God wants of us. We know that's what he's, but we're afraid sometimes that it won't work. 
What if I seek your face and I don't find you? What if I seek your face and, and you're not there? Uh, and we have this little fear about ourselves. Now let me just tell you, first of all, that it, we don't seek him and we find him. Well, when, when we seek him, we find that he's already found us, that he's already there, that he's been waiting for us to look. He's been waiting for us to, to see him. But here's something else. I read this great little thing uh, last week about seeking the Lord. And it says this, uh, this is a, a really a, a wonderful writer named Frederica uh, Matthews Green, and she says this, you know what I mean by the presence of God because you felt it yourself. And whether it was one, uh, one of those one or two memorable occasions or regularly over the years, you agree that it's intoxicating. When I try to describe it, I, I, I find I use the word beauty more often than any other, the exact word that David uses to, to gaze upon your beauty. You know what I'm talking about and you're eager to hear more, but some of you feel sad when you hear people talk about experiencing the presence of God. You've never felt anything that you would describe as the presence of God and you wonder why you've been left out. Has God rejected you? The first thing I want to tell you is this, the very fact that you want to know God's presence means that you're sensing something. Think about it. How many people never give God a second thought? How many people sleep in on Sunday morning and, and never open a Bible or send up a prayer? But you're not like that. You really want to be closer to the Lord. Here's an, an analogy. Picture yourself walking around a shopping mall looking at people and the window displays. Suddenly you get a whiff of cinnamon. You weren't even hungry, but now you really crave a cinnamon roll. This craving isn't something you made up. There you were, minding your own business, when some drifting molecules of sugar, butter, and spice collided with a susceptible patch inside your nose, and you had this real encounter with cinnamon. Not a mental delusion, not an emotional projection, but the real thing. And what is the effect? You want more now. And if you hunger to know the presence of God, it's because I believe that you've already begun to scent it's compelling delight. That within us, there is this desire to experience the presence of God. There's this desire to seek him. And, 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 and what she's saying is that that desire says that you've already experienced just enough of it to make you hungry for more. That it isn't failure that you don't feel like you've experienced all of it, but what you have experienced is enough to say, I want more, I want to know more, I want to seek him more, I want to experience God's presence in my life. And then we go to verse 13 and 14, verses 13 and 14. Here's what David says. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he says that with a big exclamation point. I believe I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How about that? He says, you know what? I don't think that I'm gonna have to wait for heaven for all of this stuff to work out. I don't think I'm gonna have to wait for eternity to see all of the answers because I believe that I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord if I'm looking, if I'm paying attention, I'm gonna see how good God is here in the land of the living that I'm gonna experience him for who he is, that I'm gonna know his love and his presence and his power in my life. I'm gonna know a peace that surpasses understanding. I believe all of that in my life. And so he says, here's what I'm gonna do. Here's what I'm gonna do because I believe that, because uh, I believe that about the Lord, because I believe that I'll experience him. Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, 
Be strong and let your heart, let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Wow. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Because my confidence is in the Lord. No matter what I'm experiencing in my life, uh, no matter how dangerous it feels to me, uh, no matter how far I feel like that, that God is from me, from time to time, I'm gonna wait on the Lord, and he says, be strong. And here's something that's really interesting, because we don't usually put these words together. We don't usually put wait and strong in the same sentence, right? Because waiting feels like passive to us. Uh, waiting feels like I'm not doing anything. But here's what David is saying. He's saying it takes strength to wait for God. It takes strength to say, I'm not gonna, I can't fix this by myself. It takes strength to say, I've got to trust in God over trusting in myself, that I've got to believe that he cares. I've got to believe in who he is. I've got to understand that God is up to something, that I am going to see his goodness in the land of the living. I have to take courage in that. It takes courage to believe in him and not try to run through and fix everything myself. And the other side of that is that I generally mess it up when I do. But he's saying, take courage, be strong in the Lord, and wait for him because God is faithful. And we have this great continuum. We see in the very beginning that, that David says, my confidence is in the Lord. He's my light and he's my salvation. He's saying that the one thing I ask in spite of the fact that in, in, first, Sam, in first Samuel 19, we read this story that King Saul, the king of Israel, is so jealous of David that he tries to have him killed. The very king that David is serving, the very king that, that was in need and David came and slew Goliath and all of those things, that, that this king now is so jealous of David that he, has to, he tries to get him killed. And then we have all of these other, the Philistines and, and all of these other people that are trying to conquer Israel and he's constantly at war. He is constantly, uh, being, his country is being threatened by outside powers. And then we have this moment where his own son Absalom uh, has a coup and, and David has to flee Jerusalem for a period of time and all of those things are going on around him and, and none less than the fact that he is the king and makes decisions for the kingdom and in the middle of that David can say one thing I ask is that I can dwell in the house of the Lord that I can seek him that I can gaze upon his beauty the beauty of his presence what he offers us that I can do that I can inquire of him I can meditate I can think about him I can make him the the center of my life and, and here we have the whole secret to a fearless life. Think about what we're afraid of. Think about what you're afraid of. Think about what makes you anxious, uh, uh, what you worry about. And think about this. Anxiety is like smoke. And if you take that anxiety and you follow that smoke all the way to where the fire is, you're going to find something that you've put in front of God that my anxiety is driven by my need for security, uh, that I, I need a healthy retirement, I need a place to live, you know, I need significant relationships, I have all of these needs in my life that I wanna find security and I wanna find comfort, and, and, when I t and I am anxious about it because somehow I have let those things become the God of my life, sometimes how I have let those things become so dominant in my life that, that I'm worshiping my comfort, I'm worshiping my security, and I forgot that it's God 
that I, is the center. It's God that is the most important. It's God's face that, that I really seek, and I'm seeking all these other things in my life. And, and so think about it. Take a little time today, and what makes me anxious? What am I worried about? What am I most anxious? And follow that smoke to see what it is that you've maybe placed ahead of God in your life that you've given priority over your relationship with God. And then give that thing to him and remind yourself, Lord, one thing I ask, that I may know you, that that I might have my life centered on you. Anxiety is the result. Anxiety is the result of putting anything in our lives in front of our relationship with God that we were made for a relationship with God. We were made for him to be the center uh, of our lives. And when he is the center, when he's lifted up, it ends that anxiety and worry in our lives. Uh, There's a great story uh, that I recently read about. There was an English missionary named Alan Gardner. And in 1851, he was on his way to South America to start a new mission and he was shipwrecked on a remote island. And he and his companions did everything that they could possibly do to stay alive uh, until somebody could come and rescue them. And uh, nobody came. And finally he died. Most people believe that that he was the final survivor uh, of the crew on the ship. And uh, he died far away from everybody, far away from his loved ones, far away from his family, dying of thirst and dying of hunger. What a horrible, horrible way to die. On this island by himself, he died of hunger, he died of thirst, a missionary. When they finally discovered his body, they found right next to his body was his quiet time notebook or his journal. And they opened it up and they saw on the very last page he had written Psalm 34:10, And this is what it says. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any, uh, not want any good thing. Those who seek the Lord will not want of any good thing. And right underneath that, the last words that he ever wrote were, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God of God. Okay, Alan, you're delirious. What, why would you say that? How could you possibly think that? How could you possibly write that? You're starving to death. You're, you're dying of thirst. You're, you're dying of hunger. You've been abandoned on this island. You've been wrecked. You were trying to serve God. You were a missionary. You were doing all of these good things, and now you find yourself in this situation, and you are overwhelmed with the goodness of God? Why wasn't he mad? Why wasn't he angry? Why wasn't he scared? I will offer you this. It's because he had the one thing and there was nothing to be afraid of. You see, when we put anything else above God in our lives, it creates insecurity because those things are vulnerable. Those things are fragile. Those things can get snatched away. But when God is the center of our lives, when he's the center of what we seek, what we love, the beauty of our lives, when God is in the middle of all of that, then we have nothing to fear because God is unchangeable. God is eternal. God is God. 
and anything in front of him, anything that we elevate past him is fragile and it creates insecurity in our lives. And when Alan Gardner knew that, he knew the one thing. He knew that there wasn't anything to be afraid of. So that's our only hope. That's our only hope in this life. And God's called us to come and get it. He's called us to come and dwell on him, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek him. That's what he's asked of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the one thing, the one thing that David asked, that he would seek your face, Lord, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord, that he would dwell in your house. And, and Lord, we recognize this morning that, that you dwell in us, that you live in us, that you've given us that offer. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not invited you into their lives, I pray that they would do that this morning, that they would experience the fullness of what it means to belong to you. And, Lord, for those of us who have, have allowed something else uh, to be sought after in our lives, something else to, that, that we rely on, something else that's become our one thing. I ask that you'd forgive us and, and Lord, that you would refocus our hearts and our minds that, that you might be the one. Lord, that you might be the one that we call on, the one who delivers. So Lord, we commit all of this to you. It's for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So what do we do? How, how, do we, how do we find a, how do we live a life that, that seeks the face of God before anything else? How do, how do we live a life that, that lives in his temple, that gazes upon his beauty? Um, how, how do we seek him in that way until it becomes a habit of our heart? And that's, that's really the challenge for us, isn't it, this morning? Uh, that, that we want to experience the presence of Christ. And, and so let me just tell you that, that it doesn't happen without some, some effort. Uh, this idea of seeking is to come morning after morning after morning, uh, that when we come uh, seeking the Lord, when we come to Him uh, to look upon His Word, to experience Him in the Scripture, and we do that consistently over time, what we find is that those habits that He gives us uh, become uh, part of the formation of who we are, become part of our life. And, and so one of the things that I've done over the years is I, I read through the Psalms twice uh, every year. I read it frontwards and then I start the back and work my way back and, and I probably read Psalm 27 at least a dozen times a year because it always reminds me of what really matters in my life and it reminds me of what God has for me and, and what he wants for me and so my encouragement to you this morning is that, is that you would see 
that seeking the Lord is a habit that needs to get formed in your life, that experiencing his presence is something that grows on us as as we give ourselves time uh, to gaze upon his beauty, to get to know the Lord. Uh, I wouldn't encourage you to to start with Genesis today. I would encourage you to start with Psalm 1 today and make a commitment in the next month you're going to read through uh, the Psalms uh, and allow the Lord to speak to you through the songs, through the prayers uh, in, in the Psalms. And, and then if you're just ready to go from there, we've got something really special. Next week, we're going to start a new series. It's called The Good News for Everyone. And we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark and look at the life of Jesus. It'd be a great time, uh, a great opportunity to bring people who maybe don't regularly go to church because they're going to just get a, a look at who Jesus is. The good news for everyone. And so we can begin that journey. But this morning, if you're looking for a place to start, just start reading through the Psalms. And when you do, say, Lord, this is my prayer. You see, when I read Psalm 27, I read it as a prayer. I'm asking the Lord for these things. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm just letting David put the words together for me as I seek the Lord, as I talk to him. So I would encourage you to do that and make it a habit of your life and watch God work. Watch God do great things in your heart and in your mind as as you seek him. And we also have a great privilege in two weeks. uh, We're going to have a guest here uh, with us in two weeks. Uh, His name is Stefan Gustafsson, and he's from Stockholm, Sweden, and he's part of the leadership team for a group called the European Leadership Forum. They help young pastors plant churches in Eastern Europe that when the communists came and and drove out the churches and killed off all the churches that later on uh, these guys got together and said how do we restart the church in Eastern Europe and so there are pastors there are young and they're all bivocational none of them get paid full-time to do this because they're they're just they're starting from scratch they're starting from nowhere they're starting from countries that had been atheist countries for 70 80 years And now they're planting churches. They've planted 200 churches so far. And Stefan is one of the leaders of this. He also has a center in Stockholm uh, called Apologia. And it's the Center for Christian Apologetics. He's going to be with us on March 3rd. Uh, It'll be a fascinating and great privilege to have him here. But next week, we're going to start in Mark. And so I would encourage you, if you want to keep up, just start in the first chapter. Mark is short. Mark's very precise. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and very colorful, fun to read. Uh, start with Mark, read, read that through, and we'll be walking through that together right up until Easter. It's crazy, but the Gospels all have this whole resurrection story in them. So we'll be getting to that before we're done. So I want to encourage you, uh, I want to encourage you to start some habits that become, that become like breathing for you. That we, you, you seek Christ because you delight in him. You seek Christ because you want to gaze on his beauty. And you've had, a, you've had a scent of it. You've smelled that cinnamon and now you want the cinnamon roll. You've had a sense of, of what God offers you and now you want to experience him in greater and deeper ways. Just start somewhere. We have prayer partners this morning. I'd love to pray with you. Our prayer table is always open. Uh, write your prayer request down. We will pray with you and, and for you throughout the week. And then on your way out today, uh, stop by and sign up for one of the gatherings and, and, and enter into this journey with some other people. Uh, we grow better in circles than we do in rows, right? We grow more when we're gathered with people that are walking the same journey that we are. 
So take advantage of those things. All right, I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.